Episode 5 Hide and Seek Strong DEA and Board of Medicine oversight, in tandem with the threat of a loss of clinical privileges, a broken Hippocratic oath, ruined professional reputations, and even imprisonment, has had a chilling effect on the physicians who practice pain management, the individuals who suffer from chronic pain, and their loved ones. Though Bob Lenz maintains that the DEA does not target law-abiding doctors. Uh, DEA will target practitioners that we have information on that would seem like they've been prescribing outside the normal scope of professional practice. And we will use a variety of intelligence methods to determine whether or not we need to target a practitioner or not. But the healthcare providers that I've spoken to say that despite following their Board of Medicine's rules and regulations, a strict code of ethics, and meticulous record-keeping, they are still being targeted and still face office raids, unfair inquisitions and accusations, and the eminent threat of sanctions, or worse. They stripped us of our DEA registration. Remember Norm? We kept detailed records as to what we do, and we're our people are very knowledgeable in how to, to, to dispense controlled medication, and we verify and check and double-check and that sort of thing. And then one day, August 29th, they came in, after they couldn't find anything wrong with their records, they came in did this, what we call this, fictitious rain approach. I believe that pain patients have been made scapegoats, and their doctors have been made scapegoats even worse. All of the mess we're facing right now is compounded by a very central reality, and that is that the DEA has not been particularly effective in stopping the flow of drugs across our borders. So instead of trying to do more of that, the so-called war on drugs, if you will, what they've done is go after low-hanging fruit. Uh, and by that I mean DEA and the Department of Justice have been involved in raids on doctors' offices, which, to put it gently, are the sort of thing that we saw in Germany when the jackbooted troopers started uh, raiding Jewish businesses. You've got guys that come into a practice, they intimidate patients, they threaten employees with being prosecuted if they don't fake on the doctor. And they solicit patients actively to tell them stories that will justify putting the doctor out of practice. And then, oh, by the way, in large numbers of cases, they bring all of this evidence out in public declarations that destroy the doctor's practice. And then they wait. Instead of bringing cases to court in a timely manner, they basically try to deny the, the doctor any basis for defending himself or herself and wait until they're willing to sign a consent decree and go out of pain management. In some cases, they don't wait. In some cases, they put people in prison on the basis of evidence that is nothing more than opinion. If there's no scientific fact behind it, whatever. It turns out that the DEA has never published, at least not that I know of, a consensus standard for what constitutes or comprises usual and appropriate practice for the prescription of opioids. 
They've never told doctors. They've never told pharmacists. This is the level that we think is too high, or these are the conditions for which you really shouldn't be using opioids because there's medical evidence or research evidence that supports these being dangerous if you do these things. They've never bothered to publish a standard that could be used objectively to determine whether a doctor is guilty of anything or not. This is a witch hunt. And it's a witch hunt that has driven probably 40%, maybe more than that, of all doctors out of pain medicine. This catch between a rock and a hard place, also known as the CDC guideline, the catalyst, has conflated the patient using prescription opioids for pain relief with individuals using diverted prescriptions to get high, which in turn has sent pain specialists into hiding and cost legitimate pain patients their human right to adequate pain relief. Many are livid at the U.S. authorities' non-effective approach to the illegal drug trade, often described as lazy, yet an energetic, even overzealous approach aimed at eliminating legal, FDA-approved prescription opioids, which is literally destroying millions of innocent lives. What happened was they conflated the, the prescription use with prescription pain medication. Prescription pain medication was definitely sent to places we, you know, there's nobody argues that. It was sent, you know, the Dixie Mafia, Florida, West Virginia, up into the Rust Belt. Everybody knows that happened. Nobody is arguing that. And by the way, the DEA knew that happened too. And, you know, they were kind of lazy about it. So everybody knew that was happening. And yes, those people were not using medication for pain relief. They were using it as they would use street heroin. They, they could get it at the time cheaper than they could get street heroin. The, depending on how economics goes, you can get heroin or fentanyl off the street now cheaper than you can get something by you know that's a diverted prescription medication. So there's always going to be substance abuse and, and addiction. This country has been horrific in doing actual research on the on the underlying causes and potential treatments for addiction because we're still puritanical in our we really are in how we look at things like that it's still a moral failing according to a lot of people so this was allowed to flourish it was a huge business that went unchecked for years the sackler family whatever you think of them just took the fall for you know oxycontin that was easily you know uh, chewed, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, but that is not the same as giving the medication to legitimate pain patients. We now have articles from people bragging about how often they can give mastectomy patients no opioids after surgery, after a mastectomy. You have oncologists talking about how their, their opioid prescribing rates are dropping 20%. For cancer, you have hospice people who are saying, hey, we're rethinking whether people really need opioids. Well, you know what? That's There's something fundamentally wrong. There's no gold star at the end of all of this by saying, hey, look at all the stuff that we didn't give people. Mm-hmm. If people if people don't want to take the medication, if they really don't need it, that's great. It's a good conversation to have. All of that, we agree, all of that talk about the potential complications, the side effects, all of that. But 
It is not a unilateral decision from the doctor to tell somebody that they don't get pain medication after a painful surgery or a painful disease process because people are going to come to terms with their mortality far faster than they're going to come to terms with suffering and their family members live with the memory of their suffering. They also come to terms with the loss of their family member or loved one, but not with the memory of them suffering first. And that's what we're doing. And that's what's judged okay by the current authorities. That's that's better than giving them opioids. Are they out in front of a high school selling them? I really don't think so. I mean, it's just gotten to the point of being ridiculous. There are no constituents that are going to fault their political leadership from taking a hard line on on this horrible opioid crisis. But they also, unless they're directly affected, don't understand that there's a difference between the opioid crisis as as portrayed in the media and the uh, legitimate use of opioids. It's like saying we should shut down. Well, I'm sitting here in Sonoma, right next door to Napa, right? Wine, wine capital of the United States still. We should shut down wine production because alcoholism is a great scourge in the country. Well, people would say that that's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, you can enjoy a glass of fine wine with dinner, and it doesn't make you an alcoholic. Well, yeah, of course it can, right? I mean, of course, by the way. It is exceedingly rare for people to overdose only on opioids. In almost every case, you can say there is at least one more, if not two other substances, usually alcohol, and probably a benzodiazepine or a sleep medication on top of it. But nobody calls out a sleeping medication epidemic or, again, an alcohol epidemic. Nobody. It's an opioid epidemic. So... It's it's this is this is the this is the frustration and and the pain and and when you're looking at a patient one on one and by the way no government official is doing this when you're looking at somebody who's crying their eyes out and their loved one is sitting next to them talking about how they can't get out of bed and they used to be a lawyer or they used to be this and then and they you know now they're living on disability at fifteen hundred dollars a month and they can't make rent and they don't know whether they're going to be able to stay in their their apartment another month. What are you going to do? Are you going to tell them? Well, on top of that, I'm going to take away your pain medication. No, you're not going to do that. I can't do that. Another player that's been a loser in this game is, believe it or not, big pharma. Well, it's about time. Some may say yes. No. Remember, Big Pharma are also the manufacturers of opioid medication, the very medication that has come to the rescue of millions in pain year after year. They are indeed being sought after and found, found liable and blamed for opioid misuse, overdose, and deaths through their advertising and marketing practices. Even though the FDA is the agency appointed to Big Pharma oversight, by scrutinizing the science before permitting marketing, monitoring all medical journal advertising and advertising to the public of drugs, and removing dangerous or problematic drugs from the market. Uh, One of the things that's also maybe on our list that we should be reviewing is the so-called settlement that's going to 
extract several billions of dollars from Purdue Pharma. The settlement claimed that Purdue Pharma was guilty of misrepresenting the addictive properties of opioids and causing a great many number of patients to either become addicted or die. And a whole lot of state attorney generals jumped on that bandwagon because it looked like there was big money in it. And there was a whole lot of law firms that jumped on the, on the, the bandwagon because there is a lot of big money in that. Out of the $10 billion that is supposed to be paid out by Purdue Pharma, over a billion of it is going to go to law firms. Less than $750 million will actually go to paying patients themselves who have a basis for disablement or some other outcome that is attributed to opioids. But when you look carefully at what has been represented by the state attorney generals, there is not one scrap of real science in it. It is as bogus as a $3 bill. Basically, the reason that Purdue Pharma settled, at least this is my belief, and it's a belief that's grounded on a bunch of readings, the reason Purdue Pharma settled was that they came, their lawyers came to the conclusion that the state attorneys general and the almost 10,000 other units of government that had a lawyer would eventually find themselves a friendly judge who would come down with a sweeping statement or a sweeping finding or a sweeping you know, judicial finding that would cost them even more money than a, than a settlement would. And they settled to avoid government-sanctioned legal rape. It's not any more complicated than that. Purdue Pharma has not admitted culpability, meaning guilt, in any of the outcomes. And they shouldn't have. Because Big Pharma is guilty of nothing more than over-advertising and careless advertising. They did not create the opioid crisis. And we know this from data that the CDC itself has published. In the final episode, we talk about how the opioid crisis really was created and exactly what's perpetuating it. We also talk about the strategies needed to execute attack so that this game is turned around in favor of the pain community and so that the collective underdog can win their lives and livelihoods back. I'm Eve, and this is Chronic, The Pain Game.